0: We love to worship our Lord and Savior in so many ways, in every way here, and uh, as we continue to do that, we're going to be in John chapter 5 today, if you want to get a head start there, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are are copies of of the Bible available for you in the back, and we would love to give one to you if you don't have one, Uh, but we're going to be in John 5 as we continue our Come and See series, and praise God that Jesus changes literally everything, doesn't He? And we're gonna see that beautifully from the text today that it's all about Jesus. And um, we're gonna see that G- what, how Jesus changes everything. is not just platitudinal, but it is transformational. What I mean by platitudinal is it's easy to say something, we just roll it off our tongues or stick it on a coffee cup without actually believing it and living it. But we're gonna see the reality of the power of God on display and the fact that Jesus' power can change and transform everything and everyone is as real and as available for you today as it is for the people that we are going to see in the text today. Praise God for that, amen. So I don't know how you walked in here, whatever hurt you're carrying, whatever uncertainty you are facing, whatever heartache you are bearing, whatever hard you are enduring, whatever bondage you are experiencing, there is transformation for the power of the name of Jesus and the grace of Jesus Christ today. And his grace is sufficient, even when we don't initially see it, even when we don't initially seek it, he breaks through. Praise God for that. Today we're gonna to see a man experience, experiencing almost four decades of hurt, heartache, bondage, pain, brokenness to the point of despair that he has given up. And maybe that's you. But we're gonna see when he meets Jesus, When Jesus meets him in the middle of his mess, everything changes. Praise God for that. Today we're going to see a culture where there is so much religious legalism that is absolutely oppressive and burdensome. A culture of you have to do it, you need to earn it. That just is overbearing and overwhelming. But then Jesus enters and everything changes. See, something happens when Jesus enters the room, when Jesus enters the chat, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. Praise God for that. And that same Jesus with that same power is here to change everything for you and I today as well. Jesus wants to ask you one question. It's the question he asks a man in the text today. It's a question of this, do you want to be made whole? It's a simple yet profound question. Do you want to be made whole? How you answer that question changes everything for you. Jesus is willing and Jesus is able. Are you? Are you willing to allow Jesus to change you and transform you? How will you answer that question? Because experiencing the healing that Jesus is offering ultimately spiritually is not based on anything that you or I can do. It is anchored solely in what Jesus has already done. Praise God for that. So do you want to be made whole? Maybe we should stop striving and start surrendering. That's the heart of the passage today. That's the heart of the Bible will you allow Jesus to make you whole? He's offering it to you freely and available. How will you respond to it? The big idea, you'll see it on the screen and you'll see it in your notes is this. The power of Jesus provides me wholeness and propels me to holiness. The power of Jesus provides me wholeness and it propels me to holiness. Praise God for that. Jesus wants to change your life today. Will you let him? Will you obey him? Will you follow him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we absolutely desperately need you. Jesus, forgive us for those areas and those parts of our lives where we've made it more about us than you. Jesus, I just pray that you would break through in our areas of bondage and brokenness with the healing that only can come from you. I pray that you would penetrate our pride and bring us to our knees through your love and for your glory, God. That you would tear down the walls that have been built up over decades of us striving and falling short again and again and again and losing hope and making excuses and missing the Savior who is right in front of us. Jesus, I just pray that you would allow us in humility to offer you everything because you are offering us everything. Jesus, I just pray that you would do what your word says it will do. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, convict us, compel us, encourage us, exhort us, make us more like you, Jesus Christ. We pray whatever it takes, whatever the cost, make us more like you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. John chapter 5 is where we're at today as we continue our verse by verse study of the Gospel of John. We love God's word here. We're in the first 17 verses of the Gospel of John today, and this is what the apostle John writes. Chapter 5, verse 1. Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus and the, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps, but down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. And now the day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Who is the man? Who is this man? They asked him. Jesus changes everything. He changes everything for this man. He begins to change everything for society And he wants to change everything for you and I today. Jesus is making his announcements. He's beginning to begin to demonstrate his divinity publicly. So in this text, we see two life-changing realities about Jesus. They changed this man's life, and I pray that they would change your life and my life today. We all have a next step to take. The first life-changing reality we learn about Jesus Christ from this text is this, is that Jesus' grace is transformational. It changes everything. It changed this man, and he wants to change you today through his grace. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. Now back in Jerusalem, this text says in verse one, we see that Jesus is back in Jerusalem. Well, last week we left him in Galilee. Jesus is getting his steps in, man. He is moving, okay? He is putting a mile, racking up the miles on his sandals and uh, what's happening here in chapter five in the Gospel of John is a big pivot is taking place. Jesus is beginning to declare his divinity. And you begin to see this showdown which has been brewing begin to overflow between him and the religious rulers. He's beginning to almost turn his face and begin the journey that will eventually lead him to the cross of Calvary. In verse two, we see that he was just in in Jerusalem, just outside the city walls there, near the sheep gate. There's a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. Now the sheep gate is a wall in Jerusalem. You'll see a map of the picture behind me of where this pool was, Um, and you see it right there. You see the the pool of Bethesda, depending on your version, it might say Bethsaida, Um, but it's right outside the sheep gate, which is right near where the temple was. The sheep gate was where the sheep that were gonna be used for the sacrifice, whether they were sold or washed or purified, would enter. And so at this pool, and you know what's cool? is that names mean a lot in the New Testament and in the Bible. You know what Bethesda means? House of mercy. So when you think about what Jesus is about to do in the house of mercy, to take away from something, from someone that they didn't earn to have it taken away, that they deserved, it just adds a whole new level to it. You see God's mercy and grace on display throughout this entire text, the gospel on full display. The grace of God demonstrated in the, in the house of mercy is, is actually pretty amazing. Mercy is God's loving kindness for removing something from us that we do deserve, the punishment for our sin, death. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve, eternal life. They meet perfectly on the cross, God's grace and his mercy. We find in this pool in Bethesda, in the house of mercy, a multitude of invalids. Now, multitude in the Bible means at a minimum hundreds, if not thousands. This pool is crawling with invalids. Now, what are invalids? Well, the text teaches us that they're blind and they're lame and they're paralyzed. What we know about this man is he couldn't walk. We don't know if he was a cripple. Or if he had longed for decades, 38 years, experienced some form of cancer, multiple sclerosis, or some other debilitating disease that had left him with the inability to walk, we just know he can't walk. And friends, I wanna tell you that being an invalid or experiencing these realities is not how God designed the world to begin with in Genesis one and two. It's a reality and the fruit of the brokenness of the fallenness of our world. God didn't design it to be this way. It's a consequence of the sin that that entered the world in Genesis three and praise God that that he has been pursuing to make us reconcile, to make us whole again with with himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ever since Genesis chapter three, his pursuit of us. Praise God for that. So we don't don't know exactly what this man disease was. And 38 years is a long time, right? I look around this room and I go, that's a lot of something. Well, that's even longer than a lot of y'all have been alive. Hmm. Love you. Hmm. We struggle sometimes to deal with trials for 38 minutes. Illnesses for 38 days. Difficulties for 38 years are something that is almost hard to imagine, Right? but we're gonna see that Jesus changes everything even after this man had given up and maybe you've given up on something. You have felt like a cripple, maybe not physically, but emotionally or spiritually or mentally in some capacity for an extended period of time and you've given up hope that anything will ever change. I want you to know that the power of this text and the power of God in this text teaches us a reality that Jesus can and, and wants to work in you. He may or may not choose to change the circumstances around you, but he promises he wants to work in you and transform you. So while we don't know how or specific details for why this man was paralyzed, we do know why he's at the pool with Bethesda. Look with me at verse 7. So that when this interaction happens, and we'll get to more in detail to this in a second, but it's important to know that the sick man responds to Jesus after Jesus shows up. He says, sir, I've no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. Well, what does that mean, the water is stirred up? Well, actually what was happening is these hundreds, if not thousands of invalids, this multitude, they were gathered and probably some loved ones to help them because they all couldn't walk at this pool because they believed that an angel of the Lord would go down in certain seasons into the pool, stir up the water, and whoever stepped in the water first after the stirring of the water would actually be healed. And you might be like, Pastor Ann, how do we, how do we know this? Well, depending on your version of the Bible, there might be a footnote about it at the bottom there, and you look, and you might see number four, and you might, you might spell that out. Depending on the version of the Bible you might have, you might actually see that in the text as verse four. Because some of you have been like, well, you read the text, Pastor Dan. Did you did you skip over a certain part of it? We preach and teach from the ESV version of God's word here. But actually, that section is actually included in some versions of scripture, but not all of them. Most of the more of the of the versions of Bible, exclude that and have it as a footnote depending on how your Bible is formatted. And you might be like, I think it's important for us as we seek to understand God's word, go, why is it in that verse or that section in some versions of the Bible specifically, but not others? I think it's really important to know first and foremost that verses and chapters are extra biblical. What I mean by that is they were added by man later after the original manuscripts. Chapters are the big letter, the big numbers, verses are the little numbers. And they were added to add organization. So if you're looking through the, the, the John, you're like, hey, somewhere in here, it says that for God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? Where is that again? And now, but so, oh, now we can go, oh, it's in chapter three, verse 16, right? And so we can find it. But what happens is, is how they came to the, to the folks that put these different versions together is that they studied the original manuscripts. And what, what is it for some in a footnote and what is some verse four was actually not in the original and best manuscripts, the oldest ones that we have. There are thousands of Greek manuscripts, which is why it's in the footnote for most. There are thousands of Greek manuscripts and fragments of Greek manuscripts. And the way that we arrive at the the version of the Bible is that these texts are compared with each other in painstaking complex ways. This is a 30,000 foot view. So that when when some manuscripts have different wording, we can almost tell which ones are original and which ones aren't. And when we can't, in the few places we can't, there's generally no significant doctrinal difference in there at stake. And here, somewhere along the way, what we believe to happen is that a, a copyist of a manuscript took what was an original uh, comment in the margin of one of the original texts and actually moved it more into the text. And so it got copied into some versions of the Bible, which is why it's actually listed as verse four in some of your Bibles that you read. And so it, it's possible and even potentially even probable that, that, that it is a real thing, but because it's not in the original and best manuscripts that we have, it's not in the ESV Bible and a lot of other transitions. That's, that's why um of that. What is not essential to this story is exactly how that pool works. What is absolutely essential to the story and the heart of the story is that Jesus is working and he's telling this man and us that your ultimate healing is not found in a pool of water. It's found in me, the living water. And I'm here. But it's important to understand the context. And so, believing that the water would be stirred up at certain times by an angel, and the first ones into this water after the water was stirred, can you imagine hundreds of invalids placing their full dependence on getting in that water first? When they saw the slightest movement, the pebble that broke, or whatever, can you imagine that stampede scene? Tripping, running, thrusting, doing whatever it took to get in that water. And a lot of them couldn't walk or whatever. And then, could you imagine, like, imagine not walking in the water. You weren't the first one in, not having to get them back out of the water, right? It's a madhouse. It's like a million times worse than back in the day when you went to Best Buy to get a Black Friday Devil and people were like, either oh, there's one more TV on sale in the back of the store, ah! Mm-hmm. Or if you're a 90s child, remember what trying to get a tickle MeoMo Miomo was like, right? <laughs> But it's a million times worse than that because they were depending their future on it, their livelihood, their health, their well-being, their own effort. And they kept coming short because in the reality, they couldn't heal themselves. But in verse six, Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus enters the room and everything changes. Look at verse six to see the heart of God. When Jesus saw him there, saw him lying there, and he knew that he already had been there a long time. One, Jesus knows everything, and Jesus sees everyone. In the myriad of the multitude, he saw this one. He saw everyone, but he also sees the one. He knew everything, but he knew everything about that one, too. He knew he was lying there. He knew how long he had been there. He knew the pain and the past and the hurt, the frustrations, the anger, the weariness, the woefulness, the giving up, the discouragement. He knew all the details of them as physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And friends, he sees you in the middle of your misery and your hurt and your pain right now too. He knows how long you've been waiting for that thing. He knows how long you've been persevering or enduring. He knows where you have given up. He knows where the disappointments you have faced. He knows, he knows, he knows it's in the text. He knew. He sees you and he knows you. Praise God for that. We have a God that sees and knows and he cares. He is a God of compassion and empathy. In the midst of his divine sovereignty, he is full of incredible empathy and mercy into the mess, this man's mess, Jesus went towards him. He met him in his mess. Like he can't walk. Think he can go to the bathroom? And Jesus stepped into that mess with his mercy. Praise God for that. And he will enter in your dirtiest, darkest, deepest places that you may or may not share with anyone else around you with the heart to deliver you because his grace is transformational. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it, but he meets us there. Praise God for that. And in verse six, he sees this man and he asks him this question. He looks at the man and he says, do you want to be healed? What kind of question? He's like, I'm at the pool, dude. I, of course I want to walk. I want to be healed. You know what the word healed actually means in the original language? It means to be made whole. What he's really asking this man is, do you want to be made whole? Think about how that phrase is put together. Be made whole. Can this man make himself whole? No. Only Jesus can make this man whole. Only Jesus' outside actions impacting this man can make him whole. Just like we can only be saved by Jesus' grace acting upon us. Praise God for that. The work of God in our lives. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot make ourselves whole spiritually. Because throughout this text, there's this dance and this interwovenness of physical and spiritual wholeness, healing. Healing but don't lose sight on the reality that whatever happens physically is meant to point us spiritually. And we know that reality from verse 14, after Jesus found him, after he healed him, he said, go and what? Since you are well, go and sin no more. Jesus might've provided him physical healing. He did, but his ultimate goal was spiritual healing. He made him whole, W-H-O-L-E, so he could become holy, H-O-L-Y only through the grace of God, which is an ongoing pursuit. God, first and foremost, more than your health, he wants your heart. He might heal you from a difficult physical thing to get your heart. He might actually allow you to go through a deep physical trial to get your heart to break you of your pride, to teach you of your dependence, to open your eyes to the reality that you can't heal yourself. And maybe you're in that position right now and you need to get to the end of yourself so that you can actually experience salvation for yourself through the working of Jesus in you and through you. And you need to stop trying to save yourself and look to the one who can only save you, Jesus Christ praise God for how he allows us to be broken sometimes so that we can become beautiful through his grace. He makes beauty out of our ashes. He is always merciful. He is always kind. He's asking you and I the same question. Do you want to be made whole? Now look at how this man responds. How would you respond? This man, the sick man, interesting how the text describes him, the sick man, unless you forgot he's sick, Do you want to be healed? Remember you're sick. Some of us need to be reminded of the reality that we are sick with the sickness of sin. Because sometimes we forget that. Oh, I'm good, God. He's like, really? The sick man, verse seven, answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going to another one, somebody else who's faster than me, quicker than me, stronger than me, better looking than me, more financial well secure than me, gets in the water first. They're paying other people off to get them there. I got nothing, right? Does he actually answer the question? Wouldn't it? Why wouldn't he say yes? Because he's so beaten down that his response is just despondent, excuses why he will never be healed, doubting, given up, done. I'm tired of hoping it's never going to get better. It will only hurt to hope because then my hope will just lead to more hurts because it won't happen. Because he was looking at what his solution was all people oriented. <laughs> It was pride because it's self-centered. Pride is anything that is self-centered. Humility is savior centered. Where are you making these same excuses? Friends, Jesus is here offering you to make you whole. That's what Jesus does. He makes us whole relationally with our heavenly father. He bridges the gap that you and I can't. We cannot pay for the price of our own sin. We can't restore our, our currently broken relationship with our heavenly father in any action that we can do ourselves or anything that our friends can do. There is no pool that we can get in. There is no amount that we can carry that can no amount of good works. But We try. And then we make excuses. I'm this way because my spouse is treating me this way. I'm this way because I don't have a good enough job. I'm this way because I grew up a certain way or this happened in my past. I'm this way because my future is uncertain. If only dot, 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 then I could be all whole. That's what this man is saying. Is that what you're saying right now? You're looking horizontally to solve a problem that can only be solved vertically. You're making excuses circumstantially for why your circumstances can't save you when only Jesus Christ can save you. Why are you doing that right now? Please stop. Do you want to be made whole? There's one answer. His name is Jesus. Like, we're not downplaying the difficulty. 38 years as an invalid is gut-wrenchingly hard. But will you allow to God to meet you in your heart with hope that comes from Jesus? By his power acting outside of us, his power outside of us acting upon us through his grace and mercy, because the gospel changes everything. We have to choose put our trust in Jesus. We have to choose to believe in Jesus. This is a choice that this man had to make. He was wallowing in self-pity and doubt. Jesus doesn't want you to wallow today, friends. He wants you to worship. Wallow focuses on yourself. Worship focuses on Jesus. Wallowing elevates yourself. Worship elevates Jesus. Wallowing elevates your circumstances. Worship elevates Christ. I can't, but others can. Woe is me. This guy is Eeyore. (laughs) Where are you being Eeyore? Woe is me. Life is hard. Let's just go eat worms. Jesus is standing right in front of you like this man right here and saying, do you want to be homemade whole? I'm right here, guys. I love you. I'm right here. Why do you keep looking at your circumstances and around you for what I can only offer you? The beauty of this text in verse eight, the grace of God on full display is Jesus chose to heal him anyway. There is no profession of faith by this man. He's not like, you're the Christ. Okay. Do you see like last week we saw in the preceding verses, the tail end of four, a man who was like on a faith journey go, Jesus, I think you can do it. Will you heal my son? And Jesus heals him here. This guy's like making an excuse. Jesus heals him anyway. Praise God for that. It's God's sovereignty why he chooses to heal and who he chooses to heal and how he chooses to heal. The grace of God, unmerited favor. This man did not deserve it, but Jesus gave it to him anyway. Praise Jesus. That's grace, grace, grace. Jesus is here to accomplish his purpose of declaring his power, displaying his authority, giving God glory. (laughs) And that same Jesus with that same power is here to save you today. I think one of the really important things in this text is to acknowledge the reality that while a multitude of people were invalids, Jesus only healed one. Didn't God care about the hundreds of others? Yes. Didn't Jesus have the power to save the hundreds of others that were sick and lame and crippled and hurting and carrying burdens? Yes. Is Jesus not good if he allowed others to continue in their earthly brokenness? No, he's still good. Well, then why? Why did you heal my friend but not me? Why? Fill in the blank with your deepest struggle, your darkest pain, and the grief is real. And we're, we're meant to grieve because the grief laments the brokenness of this world and needs to point us to our need for a savior. Why did you do this for my family member, but not for me? I've been praying and obeying and falling. And we are comparing all around us like this man was. And why did Jesus do it? Here's the answer. He's God. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. And it's hard to live with the, I don't knows, isn't it? And that can just seed and out of that sprout doubt and disillusionment with you. And all of a sudden we're drifting because you must not be good. If you're not doing what I want. Do you hear that? When I want, how I want, why I want. Now who's at the middle of all that? Me. That's pride. and that, That might be really, really hard to hear. And I, I hurt with your pain, but God is at work. Why did Jesus do it? He healed this one to declare his power, not just to the man, but to the religious authorities. He had a purpose and he has a purpose for your pain too. And he will meet you in your pain. And we're not dismissing the reality and the depths of the pain. We will walk with you and Jesus will meet you. One of my favorite stories is John chapter 11, right? He's on his way to, Lazarus is dead. And he's on his way to, this had to happen so that God would be glorified. So other people around us would see and believe and put their faith in Lord. So he got allowed in his sovereignty, Lazarus to die. Mary and Martha, Jesus's closest friends on earth, along with Lazarus, outside the disciples, meet him. Jesus, why did you allow this to happen? And he goes to Martha first. Do you not believe? Do you believe that I'm, yeah, I believe. Well, trust me, because you're going to see God glorified in a way that will blow your imagination. Is that okay with you? (sighs) Uh, If we're honest, a lot of us would go, no, right? My pain is too real. And then he gets to Mary. And Mary, again, Jesus, why? If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus was on his way to raise Lazarus in this amazing thing so that all around would see it. Many give their lives to the Lord. Big picture, Jesus could have just trucked on his way and go, I got God's work to do. I'm on a mission. But you know what he did with Mary? He stopped and he wept with her. He met her in her grief at the brokenness of this world because he is a God of care and compassion, as he lives on mission and he knows your pain. He knows your disease. He knows what you've been carrying for decades. Whatever reason he sees you and he knows you and he loves you. You can trust. Him. Will you trust his purpose? Cause his grace strengthens you to sustain you in the middle of the trial. Jesus, everything he does is intentional. It's for your, his best in your life. Are you okay with that? You might not like it initially, but are you okay with that? Will you trust him in it? The reality here is friends, we are all spiritual invalids, aren't we? We are all sick with the crippling disease of sin that we cannot heal ourselves. There is no get in the pool that will get us out of our predetermined punishment of the gates of hell of sin because of the consequences of our sin. But Jesus came. We can't help ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Only Jesus can. Praise God for that. We can't be good enough, fast enough, strong enough, give enough, serve enough to pay off the debt that we owe. It requires a perfect sacrifice. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ who came to take away the sin of the world. He lived a perfect life. He came fully. God became fully man to pay our sins on the cross. Paul writes about this in Ephesians two, and he describes our, the reality of our spiritual depravity and how the grace of God transforms everything. He says this in Ephesians two, and you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Like dead means dead, right? Like invalid, dead, done. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Praise God. Amen. That God, in the house of mercy, God is lavishing his grace upon this invalid. And in the same way, he wants to lavish his grace and mercy upon you and I to demonstrate his love and to save us from our sins today. Praise God. Will you believe him? Will you trust in him? And the beauty and the power of this reality of the spiritual healing that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it promises that you will one day be made whole. That's a promise. It might not happen on this earth, and that can be really hard. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and experience the spiritual healing, he promises wholeness. That one day, Revelation 21 is real. That there is going to be, when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom, that there is, the old is gone, the new has passed away. No more tears, no more mourning, no more sickness, no more death. We will be made whole. Praise God for that. So we need to focus on our eternity. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 that these light and momentary trials, what? 38 years, light and momentary? That for me doesn't resonate, right? (laughs) But they don't compare to the glory that God is preparing for us. It will last for all of eternity. Praise God for that. We will be made whole through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the power and the work of Jesus Christ. We will be made whole. Walking with my dad through what he's going through right now. And, and if you don't know the story, happy to catch you later. But a couple of weeks ago, talking to him and he's like, here's my confidence. And he's he's slowly his his body is failing him. He goes, Dan, I will be made whole. I will be healed in this lifetime or the next. And I find great joy in that. And that is where my hope is that I will be made whole. So friends today in and through Jesus Christ, through his grace, you can have the confidence and the promise that you will be made whole. It's just not guaranteed to happen on this earth. And praise God that this earth is not our home. So let's not put too much of our our focus on what is not meant to last and change our focus to what is and will last forever, eternity, because that's how we get our confidence. Praise God for that praise Jesus that he changes everything for this man and he will be for you too. He, take, he makes beauty out of our ashes. He sets the captive free. He turns mourning into dancing because look at verse nine. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Isn't that amazing? At once. God is able and God is able when? Now. No matter where you've been, what your background is, he is able to save and transform right here, right now. No one is too great a sinner that can outrun the grace of God. He's able to do it at once right now. Praise God for that. He is the great I am. He is the chain breaker. He is the hope giver. He is the way maker. So how do we respond to this? In this text, Jesus gives us three ways to respond to these realities. This is what belief looks like lived out. God's grace and salvation is a free gift. Jesus will do his part. The question is, will you do yours? Because by grace you've been saved, Ephesians 2.8 says. What are the next two words? Through what? Faith. It's an open invitation, he's giving it to you, he does the work, let's not be caught off guard. Jesus does all the saving, the Holy Spirit does the regenerating, okay? We we can't save ourselves, but we must choose faith. What does faith look like? Well, Jesus says it right here. He says, get up. Get up. Um, I can't walk, Jesus. Get up. Jesus, you don't know my mess. Get up. Will you obey? Jesus will meet you where you are. He will not keep you where you are. Will you obey? Will you believe? Get up. Get up means faith. Shifting your trust from these people that, oh, my faith is in these people to get me into the water. My faith is in earning more money. My faith is in a certain job. My faith is in comfort. My faith is in myself. Get up. Change your perspective. Stop putting the focus on yourself and your faith in you or the world and put it in me. Get up. Where do you need to get up right now out of your current set of circumstances and put your faith in Jesus? Believe. Get up means to believe. Get up out of the mess and embrace God's mercy. Get up out of the guilt and embrace God's grace. Get up out of your sin and turn to Jesus for salvation. You can be in the presence of Jesus and choose to still lay in your sin. Get up is a choice. Will you choose to believe? And friends, I love you, but I think some of you in this room are still choosing to lay in your sin. Get up, Jesus is saying today. Get up. The next response to the reality of Jesus, the transforming grace is this. Take up, right from the text. What is he taking up? Your bed. You know what that means? There ain't no going back. I'm not going to leave a security blanket here in case Jesus's power didn't work so I can come back. There's no need for it. Your former life, it's done. Passed away. Paul writes about it this in the process of salvation. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a new way to walk. There's a new way to live. There's a new way to support yourself. There's a new power that you're depending on. No longer yourself, but Jesus. Take up. Where do you need to take up your old life? You know what this means? Burn the bridge. No going back. In the words of that, a song that many of you, if not most of you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. Know what? Turning back. How many of you right now are turning back? You're like, one foot in the old world, one foot in the new world. Jesus, if you don't really work out, I can go back on my fallback plan. Oh, Jesus is like, no, take your mat up. You're not coming back here. No more depending on self for other people. You're going to follow me. Where do you need to burn the bridge? I don't know, Jesus. My sufficiency in you is great, but I need to go back to the bottle of alcohol because you're just not cutting it. Throw it away. Where do you need to cut up the credit card? Where do you need to ditch the computer? Get rid of the internet. Do whatever you have to do to follow Jesus. Throw away. Stop seeking it in something that you can smoke, chew, drink, do. Stop giving into the lie. One last time, I'll call that guy for a hookup. Stop it. Jesus is better, isn't he? One last conversation, one last, like, get rid of it. Burn the bridge, like Cortez in Mexico. Burn the ships. No going back. Go all in on Jesus. Where do you need to do that right now? Or where are you like, yeah, Jesus, you're great. But I don't know. And it's a journey journey. But Jesus says, if something's causing you, your eyes causing your sin, poke it out, cut, cut your arm off, do what you got to do. Cause I'm greater and I'm more, I'm better. Where do you need to take it up? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that it's against the Bible. I don't think it's wrong. I think the Bible gives me permission. <sighs> yeah, maybe it might not technically be wrong per se, but what you're saying is I'm willing to live in idolatry, which is by way of sin. I need to have this. If you're saying in your life, I have to have this 99.9% chance. it's an idol in your life. The rich young ruler, Jesus, I've kept all your laws. Okay. We'll sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor and follow me. I'm out. Was it wrong to have stuff? Nope. Was it wrong for your stuff to have you? Absolutely. That's sin. That's pride. That's idolatry. What is that in your life right now? What are you unwilling to give up to love Jesus and to love others? We need to love God more than we love our license. Love God more than we love our legalism. Love God more, love others more. That's what Jesus did. Take up. What do you need to take up? I got stuff in my life I got to take up. Just being really real. We all have in this room, this isn't like, oh, this is just for one. This is for all of us, guys. This is an ongoing journey where we put our sufficiency and our dependency in things of this earth. We value things, whether we realize it or not, more than God. We put more worth in this. I am unwilling. I need to be comfortable. I need to make this much money. Uh, It's too hard over here. I want to run there. Like, no, like all of us have stuff we got to take up. We need to have the humility and the desire to ask Jesus to reveal it to us. And then we need to take that next step of obedience because that's the next and third final thing. Step out. Because Jesus goes, get up, take up. And then what does he say? Walk. One foot in front of the other. Walk. Well, which way? Jesus is like, my way. Pastor Dan, that's not in verse eight. You're right, but it is in verse 14. When Jesus finds him in the temple, and what does he say there? Well, go and what? Sin a whole lot more? Go sin a little less? No, he says what? Sin what? No more. To pursue holiness. Sin no more. Now, is that practical? Let's be real. No. This side of heaven, we're all going to sin. Hopefully you're sinning less. Or the, and then your time when you do sin, it's quicker and quicker that you go to repentance. But we are choosing to pursue holiness. We are choosing to desire to live like Jesus. We're choosing to not walk our way, but walk whose way? God's way. That's why at Harvest, we talk about the three W's, worship, walk, work. It is part of a maturing disciple. It's an ongoing lifelong journey. And praise God that when we don't, when we screw up and we aren't perfect, like holiness means perfect, full obedience all the time, no matter excuses, praise God that God's grace is enough to forgive us then too. Because God's grace doesn't just save us, but God's grace sanctifies us as it sustains us as we pursue sanctification. God's grace is amazing. It transforms us. But where in your life do you need to take that next step? Because Jesus said, your end game, my friend, is not your physical health, it's your spiritual health. You are healed for holiness. Step out in pursuit of that. Eugene Peterson talks about discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. Where do you need to obey? There is no increasing holiness where there is not increasing obedience to God's word. We aren't saved by works, but we are saved to work for God and to work out our salvation, to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So I know I I, I know I need to read God's word, but I, gotta, I got a lot of things on my docket to do. You got to choose to read God's word. You got to then choose to obey God's word, not just some areas, but every area. The power of Jesus provides me wholeness and it propels me to what? Holiness. Verse 14 right there. That's holiness. Sin no more is Holiness. Holiness means set apart just like Jesus. It's a lifelong pursuit. Done only through the grace of God. But hear me, Jesus will do his part. The Holy Spirit will do his part. God the Father will do his part. Will you do your part? You got to choose to obey, right? You got to choose to obey. Every day, every way, every decision, every thought, every action. Are you pursuing holiness? Where, what would it look like in your life if you actually pursued Holiness? In every aspect. What needs to change in your life so you will actually do that? In your marriages, in your relationships, in your parenting, in how you handle your finances, in how you pursue your jobs, in how you handle school, so on and so forth. How you respond when people are mean to you. The second life changing reality about Jesus we see in this text is not only is his grace transforming, but Jesus' power is transcendent. Means it's above all, it's overall. Look what happens in verse 9. There's a little key detail here. It says, Now that day was what? What was the day that Jesus healed? The Sabbath. Now, depending on how familiar you are with your Bible, you may or may not realize this, but keeping the Sabbath holy was, well, one of the Ten Commandments Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath, do no work. That is actually in the Bible praise God for that. God designed that. Here's a problem. The Jewish leaders took what was something biblical and they added a lot of extra biblical things on it. You see that right here in the text. The Jews said to the man, it's a Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Um, you will not find a chapter and verse in the Old Testament where it says, it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. That was extra biblical. That was added on. You know what take up your bed means? It literally meant that you could not move an object from one dwelling place to another. You can't return the dish that your friend brought you last night on the Sabbath. You can't pick up your sleeping bag and go home with it if you spent the night at a friend's house. Like that was violating the law uh, that the Jewish rulers had instituted. Can you just feel how burdensome that is? Man, the gospel is free. Legalism is is adding things to God's word that aren't in there. And friends, and I'm speaking very much to myself as much to you guys, we have to be very careful to not take our own philosophies of ministry, our own personal preferences, our own stylistic desires, our own personal convictions where the Holy Spirit has convicted us, but maybe not others, our own religious traditions, and elevate them to the level of the gospel and doctrine. because <laughs> That's wrong. That's what's happening here. They had elevated man-made rules to God-made rules. That's legalism. And Jesus is like, well, I didn't say that. <laughs> they didn't know who this man was. Verse 12, who is the man who said, take up your bed and walk? Who is this man? And you can just begin to see the smoke coming out of your ears like a cartoon character, right? They're getting ticked. Who is this man that happens to disrupt our autonomy, our authority? Who thinks he knows better than we do? Jesus is like, I do. And he does the same thing for us after they had gone Jesus found the man in the temple It wasn't that hard to find the man at the temple because he was in the temple to to pay an offering because he of thanksgiving because he had been healed that was the law Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him see that you are well the word well again means whole see that you have been made whole now go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you he's talking about judgment day he's like I f- healed you physically so that you would be healed spiritually follow me obey me the man then went away and told the Jewish leaders, the Jews said it was Jesus who healed him. Who is this man? It is Jesus Christ, the son of God. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered "Then my father is working until now and I am working. You know why Jesus healed this man on this day? He was picking a fight with the religious leaders. He could have healed him on any other day. He picked it on the Sabbath. You know why? This was a declaration of his deity. I am God. I am the son of God. My father, that means he is the heavenly father and I am the son of God. And this is not blasphemy because it is reality. I am God. Remember, John 20, 31, these things are written, the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, that you might believe that Jesus is the what? Christ, the what? Son of God. This is a declaration of the divinity of Jesus. It is a declaration of war against the religious tradition that said, you have to earn your salvation. You have to do it, be better, do more. And Jesus said, that's not how you earn your salvation. You don't earn it because you've done it. You, are, you get it as a free gift because I am about to do it. Now, looking forward to the cross, and now he tells us because I have already done it as we reflect back on the cross. He is saying, my power is transcendent to you religious leaders. To your religion, I trumpet with relationship because you're not saved through religion. You're saved through believing and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No longer do you have to be shackled with the guilt a burden of religion. I am giving you the grace that comes through a relationship with me, praise God. No longer do you have to be shackled by the shame of falling short. I am here to offer you salvation and freedom so that you no longer have to be held captive by your sin, Romans 6. You have a choice to walk in holiness because I am a chain breaker. Who is this man? He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is merciful and mighty. He is caring and compassionate. He is risen and he is reigning. And he is here to save you and to save me. Praise God for that. Amen. He is Jesus Christ whose power is transcendent, whose grace is transforming and he's looking at you and me right now and saying, do you want to be made whole? Just believe in me. Follow me. Obey me and I will make you whole. Praise God for that, amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, you are the Lord of the Sabbath and you are the Lord over sickness. Friends, as we approach the throne of grace this morning, I just ask you this, where in your life do you need to be made whole? Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe it's relationally. Will you just take it to God right now? Maybe you need to confess and repent for trying to do it and fix it yourself. Looking to those around you or something inside you that can never be healed by you. go to Jesus, maybe for the first time today and put your trust and your faith in him as your Lord and Savior to actually choose to to get up. And maybe you need to take up. Maybe there's a crutch you've been laying and relying on so much of your life for either to try to save you or to try to satisfy you and you think you need it, but you know in your heart that you need to lay it down. That you need to let it go to the power of the grace of God and choose today to live Jesus's way? Will you ask Jesus to help you? Will you confess it to him? And will you allow his mercy and your, his grace to carry you and transform you? And then will you allow us to walk with you? And where do you need to step out? in The pursuit of holiness. Because he's greater and he's more worthy to trust him, to follow him, to obey him. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of your sickness. He He sees you, he knows you, he cares for you, and he is here to save you, to deliver you, to strengthen you, and to sustain you. He's asking you right now do you want to be made whole? What's your response? Father, we thank you for the reality that wholeness that health spiritually fully is is available right here, right now from you. And we're here today to declare our dependency on you. May you take the focus off ourselves and put it on you today. May we with, with great hearts and passion and maybe we're walking or running, maybe to you, maybe we're limping and crying, crawling to you. May we behold you, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who is this man? He is Jesus Christ. You are the Savior of the world. And may we look to you and lean on you and put our full weight on you like the man who put his full weight on you as he walked. May we spiritually do that today. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.